So, welcome everybody. It is so good to have you all here. How many of you guys are glad to be here? Yay! All right, all right, all right. I am so happy that you all are here. We've been in a series uh, that we kicked off last week, that we're continuing this week, that um, we're calling No Matter What. And we're talking about how God loves us, no matter what. How God has called us to serve Him, no matter what. And so last week, we kicked off our series, and we talked a little bit uh, about, about this word happy, happiness, and joy. And so today, the title of what we're talking about is Keep Coughing. Keep Coughing. And if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can look up in your Bibles, Philippians, the book of Philippians. We're actually, that's what this series, no matter what, is we're actually going through the book of Philippians. Last week, we tackled a little bit of chapter one. Today, we're going to tackle a little bit of chapter two. So if you have your Bibles, look up Philippians chapter two. We're going to look in it. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. Everything I read um, just won't be in Philippians only. We'll be up on the big screen. You can just follow along on the big screen, and we'll, uh, we'll talk all about that. You can... You can follow along that way, okay? So I I thought I would start off our time together with a simple question. Can you tell me the name of this song? You can yell it out if you know the name of it. Is there a video? Oh, okay. You guys look it up. And who sings it? Anybody know the name of the guy who sings it? All right. That's good. That's good. So a lot of you guys know that song. That's great. It's kind of a catchy song, right? It makes you want to, like, snap your fingers and, like, tap your feet, right? I want to talk to you a little bit more. Last week, we jumped in on this subject of happiness, and I want to talk to you a little bit more about happiness. You know, the world and our culture, they have a way of defining happiness and understanding what happiness is. And the way it has been defined is that happiness is based on happenings, circumstances and how we feel that's the way our culture defines happiness happiness is something that we pursue we looked at the declaration of independence we talked a little bit about that and it says life liberty and what the pursuit of happiness they can't even declaration of independence can't even guarantee happiness it just guarantees the pursuit of happiness it's something that we go for and it's it's something that's that it's it's based on happenings that what we experience you know if 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 I'm lucky enough for things to work out, if I'm on a roll, if all my ducks are in a roll, then guess what? I am happy. A lot of people have this mentality, mentality that God just wants me to be happy. God just wants me to be happy. But they confuse the way that our culture defines happiness with the way that God defines happiness. And so for our talk and during our series, we're going we're gonna to differentiate what the culture calls happiness and what we call happiness by using two different words. I'm going to say our culture calls happiness, and then I'm going to say we call joy. So two different things, okay? Two different things for the sake of distinction, just to have uh, make a little more sense of what I'm, what I'm saying, all right? There's, they're different. Joy and happiness are very different, although a lot of times we may confuse the two, okay? So I'll give you an example of this. There's a difference between the way that our culture defines love and the way that we define love, right? Our culture, a lot of times they define love by what? By saying, like, if it feels good, then I love this. If it, if it works out, you know, if, if it's convenient for me, if, if, if it's beneficial for me. But the way that 
the scriptures call us to love is to, it's others-based. It's, it's based on a commitment to a higher power and for the sake of other people. That's what love is about. And so my hang-up and the reason we're, we're having this talk today is when people who call themselves followers of Jesus and, and they use the tagline, well, God just wants me to be happy. God just wants me to be happy. And what they mean is that everything is supposed to work out the way that I want it to work out and how I want it to work out. And that's what I mean by God just wants me to be happy. And what it is is that it's really an excuse to do whatever they want. Can somebody say yes to that? And I'll go even a little step further and say that even when people add God to anything, right, they they tag him on, the Lord told me to do this, or the Lord says this, right? Or maybe I shouldn't talk about that this morning, right? We shouldn't talk about that. No, let's talk about it. As your pastor, I want you to hear from God. I want you to hear what he has to say. I want you to be obedient to what he's saying to you. But I want us to be very careful how we tag God onto our words, the Lord says this, and the Lord said that. Hold on. The scriptures teach us that we know and we hear in what? In part. And so before we go off and make decisions, I'd like to encourage us to humbly submit it to our community and our leaders in a more humble posture and say, you know what? I feel like the Lord may be saying this. I feel like I could be wrong because I'm not always, I'm on maybe 80% of the time, but I'm not on it 100%. So even though I really feel like this might be it, I'm not 100%. So I feel like the Lord may be leading me this way or, or, or us this way because, because I know in part, I don't know always 100% of the time if I'm always right. So I believe any other posture is really too high on a horse. Right? If you're like, I just, I know this is what God wants, but you're just, you're, you're not really, you're too high for anyone to help you. If you're going to be in the community with us, then let us help you with hearing God because we all need help with hearing God. And let God confirm it in different ways. And so when we say things like, God just wants me to be happy, it, it, it makes me ask the question, where are you getting that? Where are you getting that God just wants you to be happy? Because questions, a lot of times what I see is that it's a license to pretty much do whatever you want to do then you just sign God as the junior partner. Oh yeah, and by the way, he's right here. And we just add him as a tagline and say, God, you're cool with that, right? This is what I decided to do. I just wanted your, your sign of approval. And then when we are confront them with the truth and say, wait, 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 where are you getting this from God that God just wants you to be happy? And they respond, well, I just, you know, I feel like God said this. I, I, I know God said this. And so that's why I know God wants me to be happy. God just wants me to be happy and peppy and and bursting with love. He just wants me to be happy. That's what God wants for my life. It's all about happiness. And and I told you last week about a friend of mine who called me, and he he told me how how he he fell in love with another woman, good friend of mine. He was married, kids, and he said he fell in love. He he told me that he fell in love with another woman. He was going to go and go off with this other woman and leave his current wife and kids because God just wanted him to be happy. That's what he told me. And I thought, well, okay, let's look at that, and let's play that out a little bit, that scenario out a little bit. Let's just say that God did just want you to be happy. So God wanted my friend to be happy, and and so he slept in another bed, right? And he had sex with another woman, and so God wanted him to be happy. I guess he was happy when he was doing that, right? But how about the spouse and the two kids that he left behind? 
So I guess God wanted him to be happy, yet God didn't want his wife and the kids to be happy, because I can assure you they weren't very happy about what was going on. And so if we follow this train of thought, it, it fails, it falls apart, and it collapses. And a lot of people, we live life in the shallow end. We talked about this a little bit last week. I talked about my boys who swim with the little floaties on their arms in the pool. Even though the pool is pretty shallow up to their knees, they still swim with the, with the floaties on, and they splish and splash, but, but, but they watch other people who are on the other side of the pool who are diving off the deep end. And they're saying, ooh, I wonder what life would be like if we went over there. I wonder how it would feel like to, to dive in the deep end. That, I, I remember the first time in my life when I dove off the deep end in the pool. I, 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 I got on that diving board and I got high enough where the wind was blowing, you know, that where you feel that wind blowing pretty strong. You're climbing up that ladder. You finally get on that, on that diving board and you curl your toes around the edge of the, uh, of the diving board and then you, you know, people are looking at you like, oh no, don't do it. What are you going to do? And you just Go for it, and you dive off that diving board, and you get into the water, and at first it hurts really bad when you dive in, because you, you don't learn how to dive the right way the first time, usually. You mess it up, you're a little nervous, you dive in, it hurts a little bad, but then you're like, wait a minute, this is the deep end, this is pretty cool. You're like, I don't want my floaties anymore, I want to live in the deep, and God wants all of us to live in the deep end of our lives. He, he doesn't want us to go back to the shallow end of our lives. and to, He wants us to shed the floaties in our lives and to go deep. And so that's what we're doing this morning. We're talking about something, about something a little deeper. Sometimes we kind of swim toward the deep end and we kind of tippy-toe tor- tippy toward it. And then we'll just be floating and we're like, whoa, living in this deep end is kind of unbelievable. I like this stuff. I want to stay here. And that's what God wants for our lives. He wants us to live in, in the deep end. And so I introduced this word last week and I talked about winning as a lifestyle with joy. And the way I tried to define it was that, that, that where the starting places are, are different with joy and happiness. That joy comes from God giving us a tranquility of the soul that's not based on outward circumstances or external circumstances or how we feel. It's choosing a lifestyle of looking from God's perspective at things. So it's a starting place that's different. Happiness is based on circumstances and feelings, whereas joy is based on what's God's perspective about this. So when you do that, you're always, you're always winning. When you start looking at life and being obedient to God through that perspective, you experience joy. It's a fact. The scripture tells us that God is a God of joy. Can someone say yes? So if you think about God, God is a God of joy, and we are made in the image of God. And so the predominant disposition of every believer is to be, to be one of joy. Not just happiness based on circumstances or feelings, but to be one of joy. God could have made the disposition of every believer to be boredom, to be depressed. And that would have just been our, you know, to be predictable. That would have just been how we were created, but he didn't. He wanted your life and mine to be full of joy. And so as we choose our spouses and our careers and our friends, even our churches, we base it on the joy quotient. And so we have this capacity for joy, but so often we're in the shallows of life. And we're just messing around with happiness based on circumstances and feelings as opposed to going deep with joy. And Paul, you might know him as St. Paul, which, by the way, all of us are saints. I don't know if you knew that or not, but we are all saints. If you're a Christ follower, then you have become a saint. So St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a book in the New Testament called Philippians. 
Philippians is all about joy. 14 times in this book, he talks about joy. Paul said, be joyful, have joy. And we're going to look at that, that idea of joy because Paul talks about it and he talks about what joy isn't. All right, so when Paul wrote this letter, he was chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard were like the elite soldiers of his day. Think Spartan, think Apache Indian, think Navy SEAL, think Army Ranger, think, you know, the elite forces of their day. And Paul thought he would go to Rome as a pastor, as an evangelist, as a, as, as, as a, uh, as a preacher, but he ended up as a prisoner. He went to Rome, not as he thought he was going to get there. And how many of us in our lives, we end up somewhere and we're like, wow, I didn't really plan it this way, but it sort of came out. How many of us can say, yeah, that's been us in our lives. I didn't really plan my life this way, but I guess this is the way it's kind of turned out for us. This is what we have. God does that. All over the scriptures, we see that. And we also know that the scripture says there's a promise that good things and bad things work for good to those of us who know him and to those of us who are submitted to him. Because when we do what God wants wants us to do, what's going to happen? We're going to have joy. We're going to have joy because it's our starting place. So God does not want us just to be happy based on feelings or circumstances. God wants something deeper. He wants something called obedience. He wants us to be obedient. Paul was obedient. He found himself in chains. He wrote this letter. This letter is called a prison epistle, all right? And it's very interesting. He wrote this letter to the church of Philippi. And during Paul's second missionary journey, he started this church with some friends, and he wanted to talk to people, and he was in prison, and he started this church. So the church of, Ape- of Philippi, he, he actually wrote them a letter, and he gave it to this guy named Epaphroditus. Interesting name, isn't it? Epaphroditus. Don't you just love that name, Epaphroditus? He found the apostle Paul in Rome in prison, and he gave him a gift of money and some other things, and, and, and Paul gave, them, gave Epaphroditus this letter. And so he says, give it to the church of Philippi. Read it to them. And really what it is, is it's a thank you letter. The book of Philippians is a thank you letter to the church of Philippians and, and of Philippi. And so this whole letter is about this, this, this idea of being of one single mind. Paul said to have this one purpose. He said, I want you to have joy. Submit your life to Christ, a.k.a. start with God and you'll see things totally different. So many people, we live, live their entire lives without ever realizing that the stuff that God wants us to have is so great, and yet we miss it because we miss the joy that God has for us. You guys, we're talking about going deep, and we miss the depth that God has for our life, the richness that God has for us, because we only have one life to live, and Paul talks about it. I want you to have joy. We know Paul wrote this letter because it was written in the first person. The early church fathers, they all confirm that it was Paul who wrote this letter. You look at different early church fathers like Polycarp, Eusebius. You look at um, Clement of Alexandria, many others. They've said Paul wrote the book of Philippians. So we have an opportunity to peer over the, the apostle Paul's shoulder and see what he has to say about joy. He's in this prison and he's talking to the church of Philippi and he's talking about rich stuff, about deep stuff called joy. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 3. 
It's a prison epistle. There's some other prison epistles in the New Testament. There's Philippians, this one. There's Ephesians. There's Colossians. There's Philemon. Some other books that are prison epistles written while, while Paul's in prison. And so Paul, in this passage, before we read it, I, I want you to know that he is not holding back in this letter, okay? It's a thank you letter, but he's going for it because he knows the people who are listening are deep friends. So he's, he's going for it. He's like, you guys, I'm really passionate about this. I want you to know this. So he is bold with love. And so the scriptures teach us that God works from the inside out to produce joy in our lives. That's what God wants. He wants us to have joy. He wants it as a priority in our lives. The Holy Spirit is working in my life, and he's working in yours to produce joy. You guys, that's the bottom line. There's, there's an epic battle going on between what the Holy Spirit is doing, God wants to do in our lives, through the Holy Spirit, bring out of us. He's working from the inside out. And there's an epic battle going on from what God is trying to work from the inside out of us and the other things that are battling to stop it. It's an epic battle. It, it, sti- it tries to steal and to choke out what God is trying to work in and work out of us. Can somebody say yes? Did you know that? Yes, he's absolutely doing it. And so uh, I deal with this type of thievery every single day. I deal with this battle every single day, and so do you. And so w- with my, when, when my kids, they, they first started eating, um, uh, actually it happened even this week as they were eating, every once in a while they would start, And I had a friend of mine told me, he's a doctor, and he said, Abdi, as long as they keep coughing, they're fine. You have to worry when they stop coughing. And so that's why the title of this talk today is Keep Coughing. Keep Coughing, because there's an epic battle that happens in our lives that it is nonstop, and it happens every day. And the Holy Spirit is trying to work something from the inside out of us. And there's other stuff that's trying to choke it inside and keep it from coming out in our lives. Can somebody say yes? Okay, so it tries to steal our joy. So Paul is going for it. He's going to bust our chops right here. He's going for it. He's going to get in our face, get in our grill. He's going to get close enough to find out the cologne we're wearing. Are you ready for this? All right. He talks about some things that steal, that choke our joy. And so... Where do we go? Really, as we, as we read this, we're going to learn what it's not. What, what, what are some things that, that, that do choke our joy, that do not produce joy? Let's dig in here, Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing, Paul says. Can everybody say, do nothing? Yeah. Out of selfish ambition. Uh-oh. Okay, thank you. You can all say it. One, two, three, selfish ambition. One, two, three. Ambition, good, nothing. It's one of the biggest things that will not produce joy in us. Selfish ambition. And you know, I I was watching the movie Trolls. I don't know if I should talk about Trolls at church, but I will. I was watching the movie Trolls, and, um, and I don't even know if it's okay for me to admit that I was watching the movie Trolls, but I have little ones. And so I was watching the movie Trolls, and I was thinking about what the, the premise of the movie is about. And it's about these indigenous people or indigenous cartoon people who want to be happy. Hmm. Maybe God's trying to speak through me to, to me through trolls. It's possible. <laughs> it's about these people, group that want to be happy. And the only way they can be happy is if they eat a troll because a troll is always happy. 
And so they figure, I got to eat a troll. I want to be happy. I got to, I got, it'll make me feel good if I can just eat this troll. So they just do whatever they can at the expense of everybody and everything else in order to get a troll and eat it. And I thought, isn't that so much like our culture? about happiness. We will do whatever we can and step on whoever we have to. That's like our culture trains us to do that, doesn't it? Train, you know, it tells us just whatever you can, that's the most important thing. And you know, it made me think how that's not what God wants for our lives. It's not about us, selfish ambition. It's not about that in our lives. God wants a different perspective. Paul is saying, that's not the way I want you to be as a follower of Jesus. I want, you to <coughs> I want you to keep coughing that up. I want you to keep coughing up any selfishness you have in your life because I want us to be unselfish. Because, you know, when you're selfish, other people don't really want to be around you. You know, when you're selfish, you kind of have this odor around you. And, 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 and unfortunately, in our culture, there are so many people are so selfish that that odor kind of people get used to it and and so and so you don't really smell it as much anymore but i brought something that had a little bit of odor i brought that anybody have any guesses of what i have in here huh what do i have in here a troll what salami i don't know let's see i'm gonna open it up in front of you guys actually What do I have in here? I brought a dead fish. And I can tell you right now, yeah, everybody go, ew. Ew. I'm afraid to touch this because I don't think anybody's going to want to shake my hand after I touch this thing. Ew. I can tell you right now, it does not smell good. It's a dead fish. It's what happens when we are <laughs> It's what happens when we are sell fish. It's what happens when we are selfish. We begin to give off an odor. An odor that doesn't smell very good. But if you're selfish long enough, you start to get used to the smell and uh it's not as bad. Actually, I don't Maybe a little bit. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. God doesn't want us to be like this at all. Not at all. Can somebody say amen? God wants us to not be stinky. I brought some antibacterial stuff, so I hope you guys don't mind. <laughs> he doesn't want us to be selfish. He wants us to be unselfish. He wants us to live lives that do not seek our own, but try to seek the, the betterment of other people. This is how you have joy in your life. It's not about what you can do for yourself. It's not about who you can step on. You know, my mother told me that the first words I ever spoke were, ma, 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 mine. This is mine. My, mio, mio, mine. So my mother told me was one of the first words I ever spoke, mio. And I, you know what? I would probably venture to say that's one of the first words you guys spoke as well. 
because it's in our nature. It's in our sinful nature to have this my, me-istic mentality, this me first, me. I'm learning that every time I have this me-istic mentality, and believe me, I have it, I, I am repelling. Can everybody say repelling? God's work in my life. I'm not inviting his presence. I'm choking it out of my life. That's why we got to <coughs> keep coughing. Because when we don't, it becomes this perfect, selfishness becomes this perfect petri dish. This breeding ground for sin to grow in my life. And you know what kind of, what kind of sin grows? That first sin in the Bible, that first sin was pride. Paul talks about pride. He calls it vain conceit. It's pride. When I say the word pride, can you say it with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Pride. It sounds like you just said, I. Say it again on the count of three. One, two, three. Pride. Do you hear it? It sounds like you just said, I. And that's what it is. You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about me, me, me. And you know Satan. Before he was called Satan, he was called Lucifer in heaven. You know what his thing was? He exalted himself above, tried to above God. He had selfish ambition. And you know what happened to him as a result? He developed this pride, this I mentality. Pride got him kicked out of heaven. And he fell to earth and he took a third of the angels with him, which we know now are the realm of the demonic. And it was all about pride, all about I. It was all about the stench, the smell of being selfish and prideful. And the antidote to this is to (coughs) (coughs) cough up generosity. It's to be generous. It's not to be selfish, but to give And we're to give of ourselves in relationships. Give of ourselves and not be selfish. Something that will mess a marriage up, you guys, is selfishness. Something that will will destroy a relationship. And here's the paradox of Christianity. That the Bible says that when I think about others, I end up getting what I want. So when I give, I get. I get to give. Now, I don't get to get I get to give, and when I keep that flow going, right, I'm going to get what I need. As I give, I get my needs met. There's a verse in the Bible in Psalm 138, 8. It says that God's perfecting that which concerns me. As I am concerned about what he cares about, he's perfecting that. One time someone once said to me, yeah, Abdi, I'll just be honest with you. I went to church before, and no one said hi to me. I said, oh, really? Yeah, no one said hi to me. I said, okay, man, I'm I'm sorry. Did you say hi to anybody? No, I didn't say hi to anybody. Okay, so, you know, I'm learning that if you want to have friends, you got to be a friend, right? Uh, You want someone to talk to you, well, you become someone, you talk to them. If, If you want me to ask you questions in your life, why don't you ask me some questions? So I give myself away, and I end up getting and receiving the deep needs of my life. Did I just mess that up? Are you guys following me? Okay, okay. So that's spiritual maturity. It's why spiritual maturity is not just about receiving and getting just for myself, 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 this selfish ambition, but it's giving and and feeding others. It's just not about me. It's when we're fed, we think about other people. So selfishness and vain conceit will steal and choke out our joy. And then it'll set you up for fail. 
It'll set you up to fail. It'll mess you up. That's why we got to keep coughing, keep coughing, keep, <coughs> keep coughing. So let's continue. And the next verse I have is James chapter 3, verse 16. And it says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there it is again, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Oh my goodness. Every evil practice. Remember that picture that I just took earlier of the service? Can you show it up? Do we have it up? Can we show that picture? If we can show it up here. Did it work? Yes? No? Do we have it? Here it is. It's kind of dark, but it works. There am I. I don't know how it is. Beautiful. Great. Great. Now, be honest. Who's the first person you looked for in that picture? Yes. You. I did too, by the way. I did too. I looked for me. Why did I take that picture? We look for ourselves first. We're just made that way, you guys. We're made this way. We're, it, it's just part of our fallenness, our selfishness. It's why selfies have gotten so much momentum in our culture. We're so self-centered. We should come up with a whole new terminology. In my opinion, UEs. UEs. Instead of saying, hey, here I am, we say, hey, there you are. There you are. Let's make a big deal. You're here. The next verse is 2 Corinthians Chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. This is smelling us up, so I'm going to put this away. I don't know if it's bothering anybody, but it is bothering me. So I'm going to put this away so we can not have the stench anymore. We're, <coughs> we're coughing up the smell of mal- malorder and dis- and. and and selfishness, and we're saying we want what? Spread through the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So it's time for us to wake up and see and confess the selfishness that we suffer from. We've got to have a sweet aroma before the Lord. Verse 15 says, "For for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We are the aroma of God. I heard someone say, you know what joy stands for? Joy is an acronym. It stands for Jesus, others, and you, I like that order. It's, it's how we combat selfishness. It's very simple. I want to be joyful. I want to allow God to work in my life. And the way we live in the deep end with Jesus is by doing this, is by lifting others. And the same is true in your life. So as you think about your relationships, as you think about your resources, as you think about your prayers, what are you praying? Where are you putting your monies to? Where are you putting your time to? As you think about your career, what do you think God is seeing and hearing? Is it about bless me and give me and how can I get ahead? Or are you giving God a sweet aroma of worship, of being other-centered or not? Because we can choke and steal the joy that God is trying to work out of us. We got to (coughs) keep, we got to keep, we got to keep, (coughs) got to keep coughing, all right? Here's another thing that God wants us to keep coughing up and and not let it choke us. Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Everything without complaining or arguing. I had a friend of mine years ago. He would just not complain. He was a family friend. We called him Mr. Coleman. And he'd come over our house and two or three times a week, sometimes for years and years and years and years and years, and, and he would just hang out with us, and we would always share our food. And one of the things that I knew and my dad knew and my mom didn't was that he hated avocados. 
And so we would just, hey, Mr. Coleman, my mom just bought some avocados. You want some avocados? And he would not say no. So he would take it. And then he would eat it. And we're like, oh, what did you think of the avocados, Mr. Coleman? He's like, mm, it's good. It's good. And then a little, t- little while later, he didn't, would never complain. A little while later, we realized that he was eating the, uh, the slice of avocado with the peel on it. <laughs> like, dude, you're going to have a totally different experience when you take the peel off. You're actually going to like it. <laughs> and he did. He actually, yes, I actually like avocados now. But he would eat this without, com- he was not a complainer. He was just this pleaser. And he always, he would always please. And how many of you guys know avocados are delicious, right? When you can get a nice, creamy, fresh one, you would start singing hallelujah, right? It's just really good. But he was just this non-complainer. He would not complain about anything. So not, not, along with complaining, Paul says this about bitterness in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. What is bitter, bitterness? First, we have to define what anger is. There's two different types of anger. There's this hot anger, and then there's this cold anger. Hot anger is like, oh, right? But there's another kind of anger that's not quite like, oh, outward, ready to go at it. No, it's another kind of, it's this cold anger. It's this resentment that's turned inward. It's this bitterness. That guy ripped me off. That deal went south, and what that coach did to me, I'll never forget it. The way that my father used those words on me, he'll get his. His time will come, and we have this resentment that we build inside of us. We look at our spouse. We look at our managers. We look at people. We just freeze them out. I'm not going to talk to them anymore. Why? Because I'm hurt. I got this cold anger. We're bitter. And so we drink some of it, and we say, well, this is how I'm going to pay them back. This resentment, this is the way I'm going to get back at them. You'll see, they'll get theirs. You show me someone who complains about your parents, someone who complains about and argues with their parents, and I'll show you a student or a child who has some bitter issues, bitterness issues in their lives. You show me someone who is always negative and arguing and complaining at the office, and I'll show you someone who has anger turned inward, this frozen resentment. You show me a spouse, you show me a teacher, you show me a pastor, whoever it is. And we all deal with bitterness. And in our marriage, we have to watch out for bitter, the bitterness quotient in our lives. So many marriages are ruined because of bitterness, this resentment toward inward. Remember that guy I told you about in the beginning of last week and I shared a little bit about him today that he said, I just, uh, I'm going, he had a lot of that issue inside of us. And let me tell you, if you're married here today, it's very easy to get resentful. I tell people this all the time. Marriage is Not the easiest thing. Singles, listen to me. (laughs) It is not the easiest thing. It is often the hardest thing. Yet, in my marriage, it's the greatest thing. So, it's the hardest thing, and at the same time, the greatest thing. And I see the best in me in my marriage, and I also see the worst in me in my marriage. My selfishness, I can be angry, and I can be bitter sometimes. My pride and my bitterness, and if if I don't see it, my lovely bride will let me know about it. And I know that there are singles out there that are saying, well, Pastor Abdi, that's not going to happen with me. All right, I'm just not going to be that way. Okay, then get married and come and talk to me. And you'll realize that your anger and your bitterness is are, they're, they're affecting the people you love the most around you. And we've got to deal with bitterness. We've we, we, we got to keep short accounts. 
short accounts. Something bugs you about your spouse, you get it right. You reconcile it. You make sure that there's nothing holding in between you guys. You, you don't spend that energy on resentment and being cold. Why not funnel that energy toward, toward reconciliation and love and forgiveness and warmth and connectivity? Somebody say yes. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the Living Bible says this. Watch out. I don't know if we got it. Did we get it? 1250. Look after. Watch out. In the original language, you know what it means? Watch out. Watch out. That no bitterness takes root among you. For as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Get rid of bitterness. You gotta, <coughs> you gotta, <coughs> you gotta, <coughs> you gotta keep coughing. You gotta cough it up. You know, my friend that I talked about earlier that, that he bolted from his marriage and his kids, he slept in the wrong bed. You remember I told you about that? It was all about bitterness, all about resentment. He felt he had, been tur- he, had, he had been wronged and he had this resentment turned inward. And so, you guys, we gotta go to God for our healer to focus on and cough this up, any bitterness, not have this lingering in our lives. And so Paul, he brings up yet another thing that we have to keep coughing on. And what is it? It's false evidence appearing real and what is that what is that false evidence appearing real what is that fear fear he says chalk it up don't choke don't you know cough it up cough it up don't don't keep it inside of you you got to release your fear you got to release your fear you got to release fear release bitterness release selfishness you got to release all this in philippians chapter 1 verse 20 and 21 paul says i eagerly expect and hope that i will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Have you ever done, you guys, that Google Earth thing? You ever done that on your computers? I did that last night for the Dural Vineyard uh, address, 8041 Northwest 14th. I did it, I typed it in, and I was like, the technology these days that they've... They keep updating Google Earth, and it was unbelievable. First, it shows the planet Earth from outside, from outer space. It shows a picture, and then you type in the address, and it goes from there all the way to, like, the North American continent, and then from the North American continent to the U.S. It just, uh, just blows it up from the U.S., and then South Florida. Well, it goes to the United States, and then the South Florida, and then, um, and then Miami, and then Doral, and then it goes right to the building. It's unbelievable the way sh- it blows up, and, and you know, so many times in our lives, we get so focused, just like that Google Earth thing, you type in the address, and it just zooms in, and we get so focused on what's inside of us, and what's in front of us, all we're focused on is just what's in front of us, what's in front of us, what's in front of us, that we lose sight of those things around us, that if, you know, we zoom out like that first picture of the planet Earth back here, you know, when we first start out, we're praying to God, and we're, we're, we're flowing together in our prayers, and, and God's answering us, and, and we're thinking about other people, but it's so easy easy to get like that Google Earth to zoom in on what's in front of us and and all of a sudden our prayers become very selfish and our our time and what we're thinking is just like you know that saying about seeing the tree you can't see the forest for the tree it's just you're so focused on this one thing you can't see what God wants us to look at 
And so we have this fear. We, 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 we have this, we, this fear inside of us. We, we, we get this fear inside of us because we lose sight of what God is trying to do in our lives. And we just see what's in front of us. And so we don't, we don't see that God, if we could just zoom out and see from God's perspective, he's at work. The problems you're having, the, the thing you're going through, if you could just zoom out and see what God wants you to see, then you'll, you know, you'll see that maybe you got that 64 on the test. Maybe, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that 64 on that test really doesn't matter all that much. If you would just zoom out a little bit, right? In the grand scheme of things, you lost this deal. But if you zoom out a little bit, you realize that God's really at work. He's working on something even bigger than what we think. So often, we allow fear to tyrannize and paralyze us. And and it causes us to miss the process of joy. And so the prophet Nehemiah said that the joy of the Lord is what, you guys? is my strength. So joy strengthens us. It enables us to do phenomenal things, like keep preaching even when there's yelling going on because I have kids and, it, and I can just keep going. But if we're always weirded out about fear, fear can tyrannize and paralyze us and it can keep us from really revealing our true selves in our relationships. Fear can do that. Can somebody say yes? Man, Pastor Abdi, I've got fear. I've got fear in my life. I don't know what's gonna happen. I've got fear. I've got fear. You, uh, you guys, I do too. I've got fear too. So often we have to do things afraid, just to step out and do it afraid. Just go over and just do it right now. Just, just step out. I've got fear. So do I. Just do it afraid anyway. Do it afraid. And when we do it afraid, what's going to happen? You guys, joy will ambush us. Joy will empower us, and we'll discover that the fear that was really nothing in the grand scheme of things, oh my gosh, I was so afraid about this, and the reality is when it zooms out, God had this all along. He had, he was taking care of it all along. When we see the true perspective that God wants us to see, we're like, oh, I was so weird, I was so freaked out, so afraid, that, you know, about this, weirded out about it, but God really had a bigger plan, and, and if I could just see from his perspective, and Paul says we've got to do the stuff, we've got to be the man, we've got to be the woman, it's not about the problem in life, because here's the deal, the problem with life is the problems in life, Right? We all have problems. It's the power of God that can overcome these, po- these problems, and it's the power of joy that wants to overcome it. Look, look at Paul's life. What happened to Paul? Paul was chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard. He was in prison in Rome. He could have been depressed, and yet he writes this amazing, joyful thank you letter to the church of Philippi. He's in prison, and in, in those times, the Praetorian Guard were chained to, to the prisoner. So he was chained to the Praetorian Guard and they would have shifts of six hours each. So imagine he's in jail all this time. He's getting to meet every single Praetorian Guard in, in the squad, right? Everyone he's chained for six hours. You know what he's doing? He's talking about Jesus. He got to share with this elite group of people in Rome that otherwise, had he not gone through what he'd gone through, he wouldn't have had that audience. Six hours of just loving on this prison guard on this praetorian guard showing him jesus god used paul in his chains to change the lives of others and you might be saying well pastor abdi i feel chained to my home i I got these two preschoolers and i feel chained in my life i I feel chained to my desk and this job is going nowhere i just don't know if, if it has any real meaning and purpose well guess what guess what If God can use someone in prison to help us find joy, then you got to keep coughing. 
You got to keep coughing where you're at. You got to keep coughing up God's work in your life. We're going to face stuff. We're going to face stuff in our lives, but if we continue to cough up this selfishness and cough up this bitterness and cough up this pride and not let it take root, not let it be, not let that steal our joy and and rob us and choke out the joy, all that stuff that God wants to do in our lives, we're going to be able to live lives that God wants us to live. Would you say yes?